I want to go back to the rain because when it was raining very heavily, I noticed, as I always do, that there are very few birds around. In fact, the only birds that are out and about on wet days are the ducks. You know the old saying, perfect weather for ducks. Where does that come from? Well, <laughs> ducks are aquatic birds. I so know they're aquatic, but why do they like the rain? Because when the rain falls, it's literally like water off a duck's back. That's what it is. <laughs> um, because you find this also with quite a few seabirds. The rain doesn't bother them that much because their feathers are waterproof anyway. They spend a lot of their time, the majority of their time, in an aquatic environment. So they're used to having water all around them. And crucially, it doesn't affect their feeding. Come rain or shine, ducks and, and also lots of other water birds and seabirds, they're either, in the case of the, the mallards, the typical duck we have, they're dabbling underneath the water getting pondweed and things from the bottom or if you're, let's say, a bird like a puffin out at sea, you're diving and catching fish or cormorant or something like that doing the same. The rain has no impact at all on your ability to find that food. It's quite different if you're a bird, like, let's say, like a, like a swallow that relies entirely on small flying insects for food. When there's heavy rain, you just can't find food. Those insects aren't on the wing. You're not uh, like a warbler or a wren or something that can pick them delicately off the underside of leaves where they're sheltering. You have to catch them in the air. So for birds like swallows, house martins, swifts, prolonged periods of rain can be very destructive and detrimental. I was going to say, you do have to feed every couple of hours, don't you? Yes, they do. And with the chicks in the nest, it's a, especially at the very formative time, it can be a real problem for them. But just before we continue with that, but back to the duck, the reason yeah. I say it may seem like a silly question, there must be a point where the rain is too heavy even for the duck. I mean, there were one or two days there where that rain was proper torrential. Yes, and the thing with it is that it all comes down really to, to the, the pressure this is putting on their feathers. So if you have really heavy rain falling on the feathers, it can disrupt the waterproofing. Mm. Sometimes people think that what uh, what causes the waterproofing in, in birds' feathers is oil in them, because they do all have a preen gland and they use that um, to, to, to coat their feathers. However, that doesn't provide the waterproofing. It's really like hair conditioner. Now, it's a long time since I've had use for hair conditioner myself, um, but uh, the birds use this for their feathers. Hair and feathers are made of the same thing, a protein called keratin. Uh, and what it is actually, it's the microstructures within the feathers that keep the water repelled. So, so they, they almost have little, they have barbules on them that act like little zips and they zip together and they produce this sort of uh, sheet over the top that the raindrops, the water can't penetrate through. That's if it's at a reasonable level. But if it's falling with a lot of force and for a prolonged period, it can actually start to break apart the zips between those barbules and water can penetrate through and get through to the skin. So that's something that aquatic birds are generally better adapted for high water levels than birds that don't live yeah. in an aquatic environment. But after a while and over a prolonged period, it can become But generally problem. speaking, for the water to roll off a duck's back or a bird's back, yeah. does it have to take a particular posture when it's raining? Gather itself in and stick its head high up into the sky and stretch its neck? You so the water yeah. just does it? I'm just wondering how you'll, that. You'll often see that when it's raining. So birds like herons are a very good example of that. They're a very elongated body, a long neck. You'll sometimes see them pointing their bills skyward yeah. to try and project. It's presenting the, the, the smallest profile to the sky, I suppose, so that the, the rain w won't impact them as much and will roll off quite easily. So you'll, they do do it? No, they do. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And for a lot of smaller birds, especially uh, land-based birds like warblers and blue tits and so on, they'll try to shelter in the trees if they, if they can. Now, birds are um, capable of flying in the rain. They don't like to do it. It's harder for them because of problems with the air pressure and when it's raining the air pressure is lower and it means that it's that bit harder for them to fly because if you imagine flying and swimming as being very similar things we can't fly us humans by flapping our arms but we can swim by flapping our arms in liquid in water it's exactly the same principle um, and if the water was less viscous or less thick we have more struggle to keep going when the air pressure is lower, that's actually the case for the birds. Now, it might be only a marginal difference, but these birds, they, they live life on a knife edge, so it can make a big difference for them. The other thing in heavy rain that affects birds and affects all of us, and any of us who ever had to drive in heavy rain will know this, it affects visibility. And mm -hmm. that can be the big problem because it's very hard to see where we're going, hard right. to see obstacles. 
you were mentioning there about the water. The best example I can think of that is if you're on the seashore and you're running along the coast and if you're running along on the sand, you can run along quite fast. But if you go into water up to your knees and you're trying to run through that, it slows you down considerably. So, yeah, of course, the birds are going to have a problem for that. Not only might they be flying into wind, but they're also flying through rain, so it's going to slow them down. But it's not all bad news with the birds. When we get good summers here, when it's sunny and when there's very, very little rain, that makes it very, very difficult for certain birds, the likes of the, the blackbirds and the thrushes, to, to get food for the young in the nest. Because although blackbirds most of the time will feed on the likes of apples and that, when it comes to feeding the young, they need protein. And what they do need to do is they need to be able to take animals from the soil, the likes of earthworms and that. And because the soil is so hard, it makes it very, very difficult for them to get food. When it's raining like it has been for the last couple of weeks, although the birds may look scraggy, they can get out there, they can get onto the garden, they get into the lawn and they can get food for for, the, for their young to bring back to the nest. So it's not all bad news when we have a lot of rain. That's right. You want to see a balance, don't you, for the mm. birds. You want some rain, but not too much. And that, also, of course, supports the insects that the swallows and the swifts are feeding on as well. They need water too, but too much is a problem. And I think that that's one of the issues with, with climate change. The weather patterns are becoming more unpredictable. And when these birds have a very narrow breeding window, like you take the blue tit, for example, very common garden bird, but they have a very narrow nesting time the window. They usually nest from sort of mid to the end of April through into May. And that's it. By, by June, it's more or less all done and dusted. And during that very narrow period, period of a month or so, those blue tits, they need to find between 10 and 20,000 caterpillars per family to feed their chicks. If that coincides with a period where it's either too wet or too dry for, for the majority of that time, that will severely affect their breeding productivity. The adults might survive, but more of the chicks will die. Richard? Yes, I often think about this during the migration season. Can you imagine a wheat ear flying, say, from Spain to Greenland, taking a few days to do so? If it should be encounter torrential rain on that, it could be a great put down. You can't see anything. It could be a very big problem. And you can get too much of a good thing. For instance, there were a few notorious incidents in Kenya back in around 2007 huge kills of flamingos now you say the water birds love uh, rain yes they do in a sense but you can get too much of a good thing the, the flamingos died in their tens of thousands in a place Lake Bogaria for instance there was a lot of research there in Kenya the rain came, swamped the place out and the green alga that the flamingos need as their food they couldn't access this anymore the whole thing was swamped and this started feeding in puddles and an awful lot of them died as a result of that. Now it brings on other sort of notions as well. There's a bird called the rain crow in the new world which is said to be able to predict when rain is coming far away. And there's another one called the golden winged warbler which was researched and there is some crude evidence that it was able to detect a rain front hundreds of kilometres away but I don't know if that's true. What does Niall and, and, and what does Terry think of that? Well, birds have a lot of senses that we don't fully appreciate yet. And one of the things they seem to be do, able to do better than we can is to detect even minute changes in air pressure, which is often an indication that they're heading towards a storm or towards a front of rain. And we do know that birds, especially long distance migrants, will do what they can to avoid that, sometimes making detours of several days to avoid a storm front. So they are, if not able to predict them, they are at least able to sense them further away than we could. So that seems to be a strategy that has enabled a lot of these long distance migrants to survive. But it's not a skill that 
that a lot of the more resident birds are so are so expert in. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts. Some birds are better than others. That rain crow has another name, Richard. It's called the yellow-billed cuckoo. It is. Yes, that's right. It is. In fact, that's the more usual name, I think. Richard, when I think of um, the rain and I think of birds flying in the rain, the one bird that always comes to my mind, I've never actually seen one, is the hummingbird. The, the hummingbird can beat its wings something like 80 or 100 or 200 times a second. It can fly straight, it can fly backwards, it can hover. And I'm told it can actually dodge raindrops. So it can go through a rain shower without getting wet. Isn't that incredible? It is, and it's a theory of relativity here. The hummingbird is moving at a rate of knots, much faster than us. So what we think of as rain flashing down, we can't, we can't look at it. It's going a drop. We can't even see it. But a hummingbird can. The hummingbird is able to detect individual drops because its its thought processes, its sensory processes are moving at a much faster rate than ours. It's like the swifts diving into the waterfalls of South America. You think they're going into the water. They're not. They're evading the torrent. They're finding a passage through the torrent because they are so fast in their thought processes and their sensory responses that they can do that. Mm, is it true that a swift can fly up to 80 kilometres per hour? Oh yes, absolutely. Is that true? Swifts, really? are, swifts, are, swifts are very fast. There's, there's one species of, of swift. There's many different species. Ours is the common swift, a very, very fast flyer. The fastest bird in the world in level flight is uh, an Asian swift called the white-throated needle tail. Uh, it's got these little spines on the end of its tail rather than a forked tail like other swifts, and that's an adaptation for extreme speed. And they can go well over 100 kilometres an hour or more in direct flight. The fastest bird of all, of course, and the fastest living creature on the planet is the peregrine falcon. But it doesn't do that in level flight. It does it in a stooping dive with the aid of gravity to help it come down in a streamlined shape but in terms of powered flight um, from A to B in a straight line it's the white-throated needle tail is the fastest bird in the world So our common swift wouldn't be far behind Wouldn't well, be far behind be no. <laughs> 40 kilometres behind <laughs> oh, but, but, but yes but, but the, the, absolutely the swifts are supremely aerial birds everything about their body shape their wings it's designed for speed and manoeuvrability in the air and that's actually the key it's not just speed it's manoeuvrability as well mm. they can turn very rapidly they can chase things uh, and the G-forces they must expose themselves to when they do that are absolutely phenomenal uh, you, you know, when you see films like Top Gun and so on you see they've got a special suit on they've got a special suit on and they, and they, they can't ex- experience those forces for too long because it's a huge problem it can even cause them to black, black out, out yeah. well, with the birds um, they're actually much better adapted than we are and they're able to do this without the aid of any engines or anything like that it's all uh, yeah but there, there is a payback because when you think of the hummingbirds and the swifts and that their, their energy levels they have to burn up huge amounts yeah. of food so they would have to take in something like their own body weight in food per day or maybe every half a day or something like that so could you imagine having to eat 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 kilograms of food every day but they need to do that and that's why when you when you see them they may be beautiful to look at and going back to the hummingbird we don't have them in Ireland but what we do have is the hummingbird hawk moth and to try and if you watch that and as it's feeding on a plant like budley or something like that and you may try and and video it with with your phone it's impossible to do it because the wings are beating so fast but that that's the payback. They have to take in huge amounts of food to be able to maintain well, that lifestyle. you can lifestyle. always put it on the slow motion setting. Uh, it doesn't work. Does it not? Have not you tried? To, to, yes, I have. Yes, oh, okay. I have. Richard. Yes, the swift is a remarkable bird. James Fairley, who passed away in January, uh, I remember him saying once, years and years ago, that birds were a not, a not a very interesting lot to study, compared to the mammals, for instance. The mammals have egg-laying mammals and marsupials and, and placental mammals, and they vary from shrews to ourselves. But birds, birds all do the same thing. They all lay eggs, they all migrate varying distances, but 
but he said they're so so homogeneous throughout their 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 range but there is an exception i think and it is the swift group mm. the swifts do things totally they are the most interesting of birds the devil bird they because they have no feet you see and he's the fourth son he had no feet so he couldn't walk the land. You see, when you were in the old days, when you were proposing to marry someone, you walked the land that you would inherit when you married uh, the beloved. You see, so but he can't do that because he can't walk to start with. Uh, and the fourth son, of course, uh, was the son that didn't inherit anything because the three previous sons had everything. So the fourth son was an impoverished individual. So the poor old Swift was known as the fourth. Son. I'm the fourth son, just as it happens. Proof, proof of proof, the exactly. proof. proof absolutely. Anyway, mm-hmm. Niall, Tara Adcock, one of your colleagues from Birdwatch Ireland, tell us all about Tara. What is she doing at the moment? Well, Tara, a fantastic colleague of mine, she uh, she's currently our Urban Birds Project Officer. Mm-hmm. So she's responsible for the projects that we run looking after birds in the urban environment, so in our towns and our cities. You might think that well, surely there's not that much bird life there compared to you know, the wider countryside and national parks and islands and so on. But in fact, our towns and cities are home to some very important birds, not least of which is the swift we've just been talking Indeed. about, because they pretty much rely entirely on urban areas for nesting. Uh, so it's very much an urban bird. Uh, Richard was mentioning there about the, the Wailing Wall in, in Jerusalem, uh, because it has the crevices in it, a man-made structure. Uh, it's the same thing we have all around in cities and towns in Dublin. Uh, this is a bird that would once have been very abundant across the Irish countryside. They'll travel huge distances to find food. They'll return to the nest uh, to feed their chicks. They build up a big ball of, of flies and other insects in in their mouths or in their throats when they've got this big mushy ball they then bring it back to the chicks of the nest then go out and get more and we know some of them even in extreme weather we know some Irish Swiss have even gone as far as travelling to France to feed and coming back the same day to their to their nests so they, they're amazing birds but they're a bird that's been declining because in our modern urban environment there are fewer places for them to nest there are fewer nooks and crannies in the brickwork there are fewer gaps in the church steeples there's uh, more and more building work being done to, to remedy old what we've seen as defects in buildings but this is excluding the Swifts so um, it's a bird that's actually in trouble. Although it's called the common swift, it's no longer common here. Well, Aina Nilana sat down with Tara Adcock from the Birdwatch Ireland Conservation Team to talk about remedies to this particular problem and how we can encourage people and swifts to live alongside each other in harmony. Thanks a million for having me in um, and to talk about swifts, which, like yourself, are one of my favourite species out there. And with good reason. They're an absolutely incredible bird. Possibly not the most visually striking, the not the most colourful bird, unlike the parakeet that you were talking about last week. The swift is a brown bird, so it's a chocolate brown bird. has a white throat patch, but you're not going to see that unless it's in the hand, really, or it's swooping down really, really low beside you. For the most part, you're just going to see swifts up high in the sky. It's their body shape, though, that really gives away a swift. So they have, like you said, these sickle-shaped wings. They have a cigar-shaped body. And their bodies are just, they're designed or adapted for life on the wing. These birds, if they could avoid coming to land, would do so. If they could nest in the air, they would never come down um, to land again. So they'll spend the vast majority of their lives on the wing. You were saying they'd never come down at all if they could lay an egg in the air. Well, they could lay the egg in the air, but that wouldn't do them much good. <laughs> so it's only really when, they, when they're nesting that we can have any idea of how many of them we have and, you know, whether the species are increasing or decreasing. Because like swallows, like house martins, they're aerial feeders and they nest way up high. And 
the recent surveys that have been done on SWIFTs have been telling us that there's been a 58% decline in SWIFT populations between 1998 and 2016, according to the Countryside Bird Survey. That means we've lost 58% of our SWIFT population in 18 years. Is this true? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely staggering to lose a huge proportion of our species in that short a space of time. Um, and if we continue to lose this at that rate, they will most likely be gone within the next decade or so, which is absolutely horrifying. I mean, are we seeing the same decline in the numbers of swallows, in the numbers of house martens, these aerial feeders that come to us for, to spend the summer here? Or is the swift decline greater than that of the other two groups or are the other two groups declining at all? Yeah, so swift decline is, is much, much faster than we're seeing in other similar um, insectivorous species. So also we have climate change. So we're seeing this rain shift in our sub-Saharan migrants. So species like your cuckoo, warblers, swallows, house martens, sand martens and the swift. So across the British Isles, we're seeing declines in these species, these sub-Saharan migrant species, in the southwestern parts of, of the British Isles. And we're seeing uh, population increases in the northeastern parts of the range. So we're seeing basically a shift in range across the British Isles. And we think that this is principally driven by climate change. But something which is impacting swifts and isn't necessarily impacting the other insectivorous species, such as your swallows and house martens, is a loss of nesting habitat. Ah, so. yeah, this is the thing, because where do swifts nest? We all know about the swallows' nests. We all know yeah. about the house martens. They collect up mud. They collect up, line them with their feathers. The house martens are the ones stuck to the outside. The swallows are inside in the shed. But what do swifts do to nest? Do they, I mean, if they don't come down to the ground, if they land on the ground, they can't take off again. How can they gather nesting material? Do they even build nests? What do they do? <laughs> Yeah, so like like I was saying before, swifts are very much built for life on the wing. So when they're gathering that nesting material, they'll be gathering it on the wing. They also eat on the wing, they sleep on the wing, they mate on the wing. They are built for life on the wing and we see that even when they're gathering the nesting material. So when they gather that nesting material, it'll be like a bit of feather um, just up in the, the thermals or a bit of straw. They'll grab that and they'll find, they'll go to a gap in stonework or in brickwork or under eaves or under roof tiles in our houses and in our buildings. And that's where the nesting, so they're nesting in these nooks and crannies in buildings. Um, and they've evolved to nest in these in these kind of spaces in our buildings over thousands and thousands of years. So way up high. Way up high. So um, now there are nest sites, there are swift nest sites that'll be like three, four feet off the ground, but they're very, very rare. And we don't know how well the chicks do out of that. Um, out of those, but generally you're, they're going to be about five meters or higher up, so they want to be up high. So, so they want to be up high. So they gather these bits of little bits of floating things in the air, a bit of straw, a feather, nothing at all. They zoom into where they can find a crack or a gutter or some fashion crack, and that's where they lay their eggs. But is there a decline in these? I mean, what's happening? Are we smarting up our buildings? Are we building them with different materials? Is it the fact that we're increasing and improving our housing stock that's causing all of this? Yeah, so yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, exactly. So swifts were nesting with us and the relationship was quite good for thousands of years. So we were leaving all these lovely gaps and stuff in our housing um, that they could take advantage of. But in the last decade or so, we've become increasingly good building very, very well sealed houses and buildings, which means that there's none of these cracks, none of these crevices for the swift to get into. So, for instance, um, when we're renovating our houses, we're renovating them up to kind of an A standard oftentimes. And that's really good from an energy efficiency point of view and to an extent from a climate change point of view. But it's really bad for the swifts because it means that there's no nesting space there for them. So take, for instance, if you have a church in a town, 
and it could hold 40 to 50 swift nests. Maybe nobody's aware that the swifts are there because one of the things about swifts is that they're incredibly unobtrusive. They're very, very clean species. You can have them living right near house, like under the eaves of your house and not even know that they're there. Are there no droppings? There's no droppings, like they're because they're tucked right inside. And not only that, but the parents are incredibly clean, like they're complete clean freaks. The When the chicks... Um, poo or whatever they uh, have a fecal sac which the parents pick up and they drop outside of the nest like far away from the nest um, site so they're really really clean So you'd never even know you had them if you didn't see them zooming in and out Exactly So they're doing up the churches they're fixing the gutters they're doing all of this so are we on a hiding to nothing then or is there any way that we can put in artificial places that if we know they're swifts I remember years ago on this programme when they were building the Aviva Stadium which was the Lansdowne Road one at that point um, they were building actual swift nest boxes that we went to look at in fact and they put them there for the swifts to 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 actually use so these were the hollow bricks that they were putting in specially I mean should they not be mandatory on all buildings? Yeah, 100%. And we would call on ministers um, to make them man- mandatory in all new builds um, ac- right across the country. And I know in the UK, there was the feather campaign as well, which unfortunately wasn't, su- wasn't the, successful. The feather campaign? What was Aye, that? So the feather campaign was a petition that was set up by Hannah Byrne-Taylor. Um, and she was calling on um, the UK government to make it mandatory that in all new buildings, swift bricks are installed inside them. So we need something similar in Ireland. Uh, And did she succeed in that in Britain? No? No, unfortunately not. Um, It wasn't successful. But, I mean, that's not for one to trying. And I know that um, organisations such as the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds are going to keep up the momentum on that. Because Um, they presume the buildings are equally able to withstand anything. It's not making the building weaker or anything like that. Absolutely not. Um, No, it's it's a no-brainer. So it's good for SIFs because you have nesting space for them. But it's also really, really good for your architects, for your engineers, for your developers. Because A, these bricks, they just kind of blend seamlessly into the fabric of the building. You wouldn't notice them. They're up really, really high. Um, there's a tiny hole. It's about 28 millimetres high. So at that height, you're not even going to see it. And you can plaster over the brick, but leave that space leave free. A hole in that for, for yeah, but how will, how will the Swifts know they're there? Yeah, so that's because another... I remember, remember years ago when, you know, the Swifts were casing the joint, you were lying <laughs> in the bed of the window open and then there was a big swoop and yeah. this collection of Swifts went zooming past. I was thinking they were going to fly in the window altogether and they were obviously casing the joint to see was there cracks on, on our gutters that they could use. And presumably they only come back to where they've nested before. So if I build a new apartment block somewhere there was none before and put in these bricks. How will the Swift know they're there? Yeah, so um, Swifts are a, a kind of a colonial breeding species. They're semi-colonial breeding species. So they like to breed in close proximity to one another. So what they're depending on there is the calls of their own species to let them know that there's, that there's nest sites around um, and that there's Swifts there already. So if, you're to, if you put in those swift bricks, which I would highly recommend, or if you put in boxes on your houses or your public buildings, you also need a collar system. And the collar system plays the calls of swifts. So they're called bangers. Those birds that you would have seen swooping across um, your gutters there, they're called bangers. Those are young, non-breeding birds and they're looking for nesting space. So when those bangers hear um, the calls of swifts from your tapler, they'll be like, oh, there's, there's birds there, there's other swifts there, this is great, there must be habitat around and we really like to be around other swifts. So they'll come and investigate it, they'll find those swift bricks or they'll find those nest boxes, see that they're empty and they're like, yes, and they've got a home. So that's how you bring them in. 
So they don't mind the fact that they don't actually find any other occupied nests as such. Once they hear the swift calls, they think, well, there are swifts around and I'm lucky to find an empty one that hasn't been occupied, so I'm away. And that's what they do. And they come back then to the same nests each year, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So swifts are incredibly site faithful. So it's another part of of the problem when it comes to swifts. So we are renovating swifts out. Um, of our buildings for um, by closing off those gaps off those crevices we're building new buildings that are completely well sealed and have no space for SIFs so they have a double whammy of losing of essentially getting evicted from their their existing nest sites and then having no new um, housing coming on the market for them one of the reasons why this is also a massive problem for SIFs is because they're incredibly site faithful if we go back to the church analogy if you close off all those nest sites in the church and they come back in the breeding season and those nest sites are gone, they're not just going to go and find another space to breed because they're very much tied to the nest site that they have been breeding in for years. They're not terribly flexible. So that season they probably won't breed again. And we reckon that many of these displaced pairs, they probably won't find another breeding space to to nest in again. And when you're seeing these massive declines, these 58% declines in a very short space of time, the loss of breeding pairs or breeding successes every year, that has a cumulative effect and is is really, really bad for the overall population. So so swifts are long-lived birds, aren't they? Yeah, so the oldest bird that they have, the oldest swift that they found from ringing records is 21 years of age. And they start breeding at four or five so the one pair could be coming to the same site for 15 years if but what happens to the young how many young do they have yes every year they'll lay about two eggs in Ireland and get two off if the weather is good yeah will those young want to come back again to that same area or will they get it well they're the bangers they're the ones that are looking for new land and it might not be in the vicinity of where they were born at all or is it yeah, so um, I don't think we, we fully understand how that's working. There's still an awful lot of work to be done on swifts and our understanding of their ecology. Um, but you would imagine that they would come back to similar areas or to the, the wider area that they had been reared from. So yeah, you'd imagine that they'll be coming back. So if you have a house in Dublin and you have swift boxes or gaps in your face or whatever, and you have swifts coming out of that, fledging from that, young swifts, you'd imagine that those young swifts will come back to check out the to area. that area as well, yeah. indeed, yeah. So has anybody put these up at all, apart from the Aviva Stadium, and have they been successful? Yeah, so um, over in Mayo, there's been quite a lot of work by Swift Conservation Ireland to put up swift bricks. So swift bricks are literally built into the fabric of the wall. They're a brick with a hollow centre that the swifts can go into. And the reason that these are so good is that they're permanent. So once that goes into the building, unless that building is knocked down, that that nesting site for a swift is there permanently. Um, so that's why they're the gold standard for swifts and for kind of creating habitat, nesting. And you only, need, you only need this, the calls until you get them established don't have to put in the calls every year because I presume you put up the calls at the beginning of May for the early ones so that they'll think there's somebody living there and but then once that's done you don't have to do it anymore the following year or the year after. Yeah so you, you can keep doing it if you say you only have one or two pairs and you kind of want to get the word out there to the rest of the swifts that there's nesting space you can do that until your colony um, really really fills up. I know there are houses so there's one house down in Kildare where it's a rural house actually which is quite unusual. Dermot Dorn is the man and he has over 40 uh, swift nest boxes up and he has a lot of uh, swifts nesting in those but he still keeps the tapler on to draw in more stuff so you can keep them on but if it's annoying your neighbours or if it's wrecking your own head you can once you get those swifts established you can turn it off and then you have those nest boxes then, which are a different thing altogether. Tell us about those. Are they big? Are they small? Do they look like a nest? What What's involved there? 
Yeah, so a swift nest box is a long uh, rectangular nest box. Um, you can get it as a single cavity, a double or a triple cavity. It looks pretty much like a bird box, like your typical bird box, except instead of being lengthways, it goes horizontally. You put that up and will it only be for swift? So will you get other things like starlings or other whole nesting birds wanting it? Or is it too high for some of those species? Yeah, so you will get other species nesting in them. Now, if you buy them from, for instance, Genesis, um, nest boxes down in Kerry, or if you make them yourself, you make them so that there's a 28 millimetre high nest entrance and the starlings can't get into those. So um, you won't have the swifts and starlings competing for those nest boxes. it's too small for the starlings, is it? It's too small for the starlings yeah. to get in. Yeah. House sparrows will get into them. Um, they're small enough that they can squeeze in, but the swifts can sort that out for themselves. Um, oh, do they evict sp- oh, sparrows? Do they what? Yeah. Um, well, you could have battle, <laughs> battle royale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. And a sparrow could be there already and along comes the swift and says, oh, yep. oh, and turfs it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, but that's nature. That's how it works, I'm afraid. <laughs> So what are Birdwatch Ireland doing now? I mean, as we speak, I mean, it's now August, the season is over for this year. Have we surveys? Do we know what it was like this year? Are we doing them on a county basis? Are we doing them on an Ireland basis? Cardi on scale, if there you could say. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're doing quite a number of things with SWIFTS. Um, so like you said, we're doing county surveys. So this summer we have been looking at County Monaghan, Carlow and Offaly. And actually the survey in Offaly is a resurvey of work that was carried out in 2017. So Offaly was our flagship project for the County SWIFT surveys. Um, so you did one in 2017. You uh-huh. put in works, I hope, presumably did more nest boxes and bricks and now you've resurveyed it again this year so it'll be interesting to see has it kept the decline at bay has it increased them or whatever yeah yeah and the data that we're collecting and looking at at the minute um so we don't have that data to hand just yet but it'll be really really interesting to see what's happened over the last number of years in awfully um but to date birdwatch ireland has carried out 16 county surveys and then one survey, so that's 17 in total. And we've also looked at Dublin City and South Dublin for these baseline SWIFT surveys. What can people do now at middle of August when, you know, obviously the season is over? Do they do anything now? Do they wait till next spring? I mean, if I want to encourage SWIFTs to come to my house where they are or not and never have been, what do I do now in August? Or do yeah. I do anything? Yeah, yeah. No, you definitely can. Um, August is a really good time to start thinking about this and to start doing stuff because the season will be upon you before you know it. So I've just moved into a new house and I have uh, gotten swift nest boxes and I'll be putting them up over the next couple of days. That's something that other people can do. And I really, really encourage people to put boxes up for swifts. It's one thing that individuals and local community groups can definitely do to make a difference for swifts. Another thing that people can do is dig a pond. So these these birds are insectivores. They love insects. So dig a pond. Ponds are really good for insects. It's not only good for insects, it's good for other species right up the chain. And it's good for us. It's good for our mental health to have these spaces that are good for wildlife. It makes us feel better. So provide the homes, provide the food and then sit back and enjoy it. Exactly. And then another thing that I really, really recommend people do is get involved in your local community groups. This is vital for saving the swift. Um, the swift is really unusual. We can we can save this bird. It nests in our buildings. We have direct control over the habitat that it is so intrinsically linked to it. So we can save it. 
If you get involved with your local community groups, such as your tidy town, you can put up nest boxes in your local area. You can petition your local authorities under the county development plan to put boxes and to put swift bricks into any buildings that schools, are Schools, I presume, would be a good schools place are to go as well, yeah. Yeah, schools are absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, the next generation is the key for saving Ireland's biodiversity. So bringing these kids along with us um, on this journey is really, really important. It uh, lets the next generation make a difference in, in their own right as well. Good to talk to you, Tara. Thank you for coming in and hopefully next year you'll be coming in telling us it's all and getting better again. Yeah, hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed. Thank you very much indeed, Tara Adcock and Aina Nilana. Details on the website as always, rte.ie forward slash Moody. And while you're there, you can listen back to a special documentary myself and Niall made about the Swift. Oh my goodness, it must be about four or five years ago now, Niall. I'm forgetting time is passing very quickly. It is. No, that's right. A fascinating bird and uh, one of my favourite things that I've ever done for the programme. You and I found ourselves in Baku in Azerbaijan. <laughs> in Azerbaijan yeah. and that was amazing. And we were talking there about the, the, the Swifts that have been encouraged to nest alongside this wonderful old structure called uh, the May. Tower hmm. renovation work was being done on that, and it would have excluded the nesting opportunities for the swifts that have been there for, for literally centuries, maybe even millennia on that tower. And what the city authorities had done was they had put nesting boxes on an old Soviet era apartment block just adjacent to that tower. Real contrast, wonderful ancient old building and this rather ugly tower block in, just beside it. But rather than just plonk them up on the wall, they put them into the shape of three swifts in flight. These three giant swifts flying through the air. It was really effective and I was just really blown away by it. I think it's been an inspiration to swift conservationists all over the world. All right, details on the website, as I've just said, rte.ie forward slash 